good morning. <clears throat> Excuse me. Good morning. Uh, it's good to see you. Uh, my name is uh, Penny, and uh, if you do not know me, I am the pastor here at Christ the King, and, and it is great to be together uh, to worship our God and to come to his word, and, and uh, I'm, I'm thankful that we can continue to provide uh, the streaming service that we're doing now for those unable to attend, and um, so welcome uh, if you're a guest or a visitor. Uh, if you're a member or a longtime attender, we are glad that you're here. And this morning, we're going to be looking at Psalm 49, Psalm 49. So if you have a Bible, you can turn there. Or in just a moment, the passage is going to be projected on the screens in front of you. If you don't have a Bible, you can follow along there. Um, but we're going to be looking at Psalm 49, which is a wisdom psalm. Psalm 49 is a wisdom psalm. So there aren't very many wisdom psalms in the Psalter. Um, but, but there are a few, and this is one of them. And, and so there are phrases in this psalm that sound more in keeping with the book of Proverbs, which is uh, a wisdom book, but, but it is a psalm nonetheless, a psalm that would have been sung and would have been sought to have uh, been inculcated into the people of God, into their ways in which they are to live and to think and to act. Psalm 49. And as we come to it, I, I, w- I want to think about uh, this question. So, if, if I were to ask you, who is the Bible for? Uh, who is the Bible for? Uh, how would you answer that question? Uh, you know, who, who was it written to? Who does it benefit? Who's the Bible for? I imagine that many of us would think, well, well, the Bible's for us, <laughs> right? It's for the people of God. It's for the church. It's for ancient Israel, God's people from the very beginning, It's for those who are clinging to the redemption of Jesus and are hearing how God is restoring his people and how he's renewing his creation. And we would think it's for us, right? And and that would be right. So it is. It's for you. (laughs) Um, But it's more than that. The Bible isn't just for us. The Bible is actually for the world. God's word is his good and powerful and mighty word for all time and for all peoples. In fact, we hear it in verse 1 of our psalm. The psalmist begins, Hear this, all peoples give ear, all inhabitants of the world. You see, the psalmist isn't only concerned with God's people, he is, but he's also concerned with those outside of God's people, all inhabitants of the world, all peoples of the nations. And this makes sense when we think about what we know about God's word. Because God's word is the best word for all time and for all places and for all peoples. That God's word is the wise and true word. And so when we're thinking about what it means to be human, to be fully human, to live out our humanity in in ways that are right and good and beautiful, it makes sense that God's word would be for us. Because God's word, this wise word, leads us in the way that we are to go. And so whether you are a Christian or whether you're exploring the claims of Jesus, whether you've thought, never thought of opening God's word and you're not sure you're here or, or maybe you're online right now and you're, you're not really sure why you clicked on that link, this word is for you. It's not just for God's people. It is for all the peoples, all the inhabitants to hear how it is that we are to live, what it is that God is doing in calling a people to himself. And so let's listen to God's word. Psalm 49. To the choir master, a psalm of the sons of Korah. Hear this, all peoples. 
Give ear, all inhabitants of the world, both low and high, rich and poor together. My mouth shall speak wisdom. The meditation of my heart shall be understanding. I will incline my ear to a proverb. I will solve my riddle to the music of the lyre. Why should I fear in times of trouble when the iniquity of those who treat me surrounds me, those who trust in their wealth and boast of the abundance of their riches? Truly no man can ransom another or give to God the price of his life, for the ransom of their life is costly and can never suffice, that he should live on forever and never see the pit. For he sees that even the wise die, the fool and the stupid alike must perish and leave their wealth to others. Their graves are their homes forever, their dwelling places to all generations, though they called lands by their own names. Man in his pomp will not remain. He is like the beasts that perish. This is the path of those who have foolish confidence, yet after them people approve of their boasts. Selah. Like sheep they are appointed for Sheol. Death shall be their shepherd, and the upright shall rule over them in the morning. Their form shall be consumed in Sheol with no place to dwell. But God will ransom my soul from the power of Sheol, for he will receive me. Selah. But not a, be not afraid when a man becomes rich, when the glory of his house increases. For when he dies, he will carry nothing away. His glory will not go down after him. For though while he lives, he counts himself blessed, and though you get praise when you do well for yourself, his soul will go to the generation of his fathers, who will never again see light. Man in his pomp, yet without understanding, is like the beasts that perish. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for your word. And ask that now that you would lead us into your wisdom, that you would turn us away from foolishness, that we would turn our gaze away from this world and we would fix it on you. Lord, you are our God and our King. And we need your help. We need you to show us the way. And so we ask that you would help us now. Allow the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts to please you, our God and our King, in whose name we pray. Amen. Amen. Last Sunday, as you all know, was Father's Day, and uh, I'm sure that uh, many of you did various things to try to honor the fathers in your midst. Maybe uh, you had a special lunch for your your dad, or or you gave him a few uh, minutes to take a nap on the couch. That that might be every Sunday for a lot of dads, but um, but maybe you you were extra quiet to allow him to do it, or or maybe uh, it was just a call or a card or or a text. Well, my family, last Sunday was our night to watch uh, a movie and eat pizza. This is what we do about once every week. We do pizza and a movie. And because it was Father's Day, I got to pick. So uh, sometimes we try to debate and decide together uh, who gets to pick, but, but that often doesn't go well. So we've just kind of, you know, one person gets to choose. And since it was Father's Day, I chose, and I chose Field of Dreams. Right, what a wonderful movie. And not just because it's baseball, though that adds to it, but, but because Field of Dreams is this wonderful story, not really actually even about baseball, but, but it's between a father and his son. It's between a son and his father. You see this man, Ray, his 
father has been estranged from him. His father has died. He has gone away. And there was a strain in their relationship before he died. And, and so the movie centers around the restoration of this relationship. Right? The, the movie centers around this cornfield that, that Ray takes and he plows over and he builds a baseball field so these ghosts of baseball past can return and play. You, you remember this movie. You know the story, right? That famous line, if you build it, he will come. That's right. If you build it, he will come. Shoeless Joe and all these other dead, dead baseball players, their ghosts will return and they'll play and they'll get to play again. And, and we know that ultimately the story is between Ray and his father, this one who has gone before him who will return and they'll be able to have that catch, right? Well, that famous line, if you build it, he will come, that's the one that we all know. But there's another famous line. It's actually a famous speech. It comes right before Ray gets to play catch with his father. It's a speech made by his friend, Terrence Mann, played by James Earl Jones. The scene is that Ray is sitting with his family in the bleachers, and, and he's being told by his brother-in-law, this banker, that he's going to have to sell the farm. They're going to foreclose. They're going to lose everything. That all the risks that Ray has encountered, all the, all the things that he has done, they have been for naught because he's going to lose the one thing that he has, his family farm. And just as he's standing there with the deed in one hand and the pen in the other, and he's contemplating if he should sign it, his friend, Terrence Mann, James Earl Jones, with his beautiful voice, says, people will come, Ray. People will come. And this begins this wonderful speech of hope. Hope that all of Ray's sacrifice, that all of his work on the field, that all of his risk, it, it was for naught. It's this speech of hope. People will come. And in his speech, he says people will come and they will look around and they'll want to see the field and they'll ask if they can spend a little time. And he'll say, sure, it just costs $20. And James Earl Jones says, they'll pass over the money without even thinking about it. For it is money they have and peace they lack. It's an interesting line, isn't it? It is money that they have and peace they lack. Peace is what they need. Money is what they have, but peace is what they need. And so where is this peace going to come from? Well, well if you're James Earl Jones in the movie Field of Dreams... Peace is going to come from a nostalgic return to the baseball of their childhood. But we know, as beautiful of a scene as it is, we know as, as pure as baseball can be and as perfect as it its moments may be, that even for the biggest fans, baseball cannot bring us peace. The smells will fill our nose and the sounds of balls and bats will ring in our ears, but we'll still be looking for peace. So where will peace come? Well, I imagine that actually most of you aren't looking for peace in baseball, and you maybe are kind of rolling your eyes at the way that I talk about it, but, but nonetheless, <laughs> we look for peace in all sorts of other things. Family and friends, politics and power, wealth and career. We look for peace in all sorts of different things, and this is actually nothing new. The psalmist, as he looks up at the world around him, as he looks at the people who are surrounding him, he too is looking for peace because we're told that he is in a time of trouble. 
He is in a time of difficulty and he looks around and what he finds are, are people with power who are trying to cheat him. Right? He finds those full of iniquity cheating him. He sees those who are putting their trust in wealth and boasting of their abundance of riches. He's looking for peace and all he sees is cheating and iniquity, power, and riches. But as he looks, as he gazes, as he looks upon the world and those surrounding him, he realizes something. He realizes the foolishness of trusting in these things. The foolishness of trusting in wealth or power. You see, this realization is introduced in verse 5 with a question. Why should I fear in times of trouble when the iniquity of those who cheat me surround me, those who trust in their wealth and boast of the abundance of their riches? So the psalmist is experiencing some sort of trouble. We're not exactly sure what it is. We know that people of iniquity are cheating him. We don't know if they're using their power or their influence to try and take something from him. We don't know if they're using their wealth or their riches to, to bring harm upon him. We don't know what exactly this trouble looks like. But what we do know is that it is coming at the hands of the powerful and the wealthy. They're trying to cheat him. They have put their trust in their wealth. And the psalmist is in trouble. And so when he's faced with this trouble, it's not hard to imagine that, that it would be easy to think that, that to deal with this trouble, to deal with this problem would be to meet power with power, right? I mean, these people who have power and are using it against me, well, I just need a little bit more power than they have, and then I can combat it. Or these people of great wealth, well, well if I have just a little more wealth than they have, then I can combat them with that. That that would bring him peace. A little more wealth, a little more power, a little more influence or notoriety, that that might bring him peace. It's not hard to imagine that, right? It's not hard to imagine because that's exactly what we can think. Now, now we probably would never say that out loud, right? Right, because we live in a time and in a place where, where it's not really looked upon fondly to say, you know what I really need is I need more money. I need more power. I need more influence, right? Like, like we know not to say those things out loud, but, but we feel them in our hearts. Right? I mean, because the wealthy, it, it, seems like, it seems like they have a life of ease. And the powerful, it seems like they get whatever they want. That they don't have troubles like us. Now, that, that's, that's a mirage, but in our own eyes, it seems that way, doesn't it? And so maybe that's the way of life. More power, more money, more influence. But look what the psalmist says about that in verse 7. Truly no man can ransom another or give to God the price of his life, for the ransom of their life is costly and can never suffice. So you see what the psalmist is doing. The psalmist isn't just looking at their wealth and their power and their authority any longer. He's looking beyond that. He's not looking to what they have and what he does not. He's looking to what they have in common. And what do we all have in common? Whether you are wealthy or poor, whether you are educated or not educated, whether you are powerful or weak, what do we all have in common? We all have in common that we will perish, that we will die what the psalmist says in verses 10 through 12. 
The fool and the stupid alike must perish and leave their wealth to others. Their graves are their homes forever. Man in his pomp will not remain. He like the beasts that perish. He is like the beasts that perish. Later on in verse 14, he says that, that death will be their shepherd. That the great equalizer is death. And so when the psalmist starts to look at that, when he looks at what we all have in common, he says, no man can ransom another. The word ransom, it's speaking of buying, one in, buying one's way out of a situation. And what he's realizing is that no amount of wealth, no amount of power, no amount of influence, no amount of education can ransom your soul. He's teaching us that though the wealthy and powerful may seemingly have ease today, the peace that we're all in need of cannot come from wealth or power. Or as Jesus said it, what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself? See, peace will not come from these things. To trust in anything, any of these things, wealth, power, career, whatever it might be, is foolishness. So where will this peace come from then? Well, we see it in verse 15. We see it in one verse where true peace comes. For 14 verses, the psalmist has been setting up the problem. And he's saying things like, we're all going to die. And there's nothing we can do to prevent it. And there's nothing that we can do to ransom ourselves. And just when we might think that all hope is lost, that there is no hope for us, he interjects verse 15, but God. Some of you have heard me say before, and I'll say again, but God are some of the most beautiful words in all of Scripture. But God, but God, Jesus, or the psalmist says, truly no man can ransom another or give to God the price of his life. He's saying, I can't save you. And you can't save yourselves. And I can't save myself. But God, but God will ransom my soul from the power of Sheol, for he will receive me. You see, what the psalmist is telling us is that what's impossible with man to save our lives, to ransom our souls, what no amount of money or power or prestige can achieve, God can. In the book of Isaiah, chapter 55, God speaks through the prophet Isaiah, and he says, Come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. And he who has no money, come, buy, and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without price. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread and your labor for that which does not satisfy? Listen diligently to me and eat what is good and delight yourselves in rich food. Incline your ear and come to me here that your soul may live. Do you hear what Isaiah is telling us? He's telling us what the psalmist is telling us. That the peace that we are longing for, the, the life that we are in need of, it does not come from wealth or power. It is only from God. And this hope that the psalmist puts before us, this promise that God is the one who ransoms our souls, it is not just a hope, it is not just a promise, but it is one that has come to fruition because this is exactly what Christ has done. For Jesus has done what no amount of money could do. And what no amount of earthly power could ever achieve. He took our sin upon himself. 
and took those who were dead and made us alive, and he brought us peace. He has ransomed our souls. And y'all, that is the peace that we need. So we need to examine our hearts. And we need to ask ourselves, where am I looking for peace? What am I resting in, in this moment, in this day, in this season, in this year? What am I trusting in? Because God is the only one who can satisfy. He is the only one who can bring us peace. He is the only one who can ransom us. And he does. And y'all, when we know this peace, when we know this peace, we're going to be able to see the foolishness of trusting in other things, but we're also going to have new eyes to see wisely. Look at verses 16 through 20. The psalmist says, Be not afraid when a man becomes rich, when the glory of his house increases. For when he dies, he will carry nothing away. His glory will not go down after him. For though while he lives, he counts himself blessed. And though you get praise when you do well for yourself, his soul will go to the generation of his fathers, who will never again see light. Man in his pomp, yet without understanding, is like the beast's that perish. You see, when we know God's peace, it causes us to look upon the world with wisdom, with an eternal perspective, and that's what the psalmist is doing, isn't he? He's still looking upon the world. He's still seeing what's occurring, right? In fact, he, it, I, I don't know if you noticed this, but, but he, he's embracing the peace that only comes from God. He's embracing the fact that it is only God who can ransom him, but, but look, his circumstance and situation hasn't actually changed, has it? In fact, in verse 16, he said, the rich, their riches might increase, and their houses might get bigger, right? Power and influence might keep going to more people who use it and abuse it and don't use it for good. His situation hasn't actually changed, but what has changed? His perspective, his understanding. He's seeing now with the eyes of eternity. That's what he's doing. You see, in the midst of his trouble, when the psalmist looks upon the world, he doesn't lose hope because he th sees through the scope of eternity. He sees what is going to come of those who have trusted in God and what comes of those who haven't. Right? Man in his pomp, yet without understanding, is like the beasts that perish. His soul will go to the generation who will never again see light. He sees with eternity. And this is why he can... He doesn't lose hope, even though trouble may still remain. And y'all, this is what we need to do. This is what we need to do. We need to look at the world and those around us and our own experiences, and we need to think and look through the lens of eternity. So think about our moment right now, the moment we're experiencing. When we look at the world, it's easy to feel weighed down, Right? It's easy to start to despair, isn't it? I mean, think about it. Some of our freedoms have been restricted. There are clear examples of abuse of power. We are seeing things that we never thought that we'd see. And we don't even have to look at the world around us. We can look at our own hearts. Right? And when we do so, it would be easy to despair. Right? The sin that we have perpetrated, the things we have done that hurt us and hurt others, our own selfish desires and lack of attentiveness to others, the, the anxiety and sadness that has befallen us, we, we know these troubles. 
And yet, and yet, as those who know God's peace, as those who have lives that have been ransomed as Christians, we don't simply look to the world or ourselves in despair. No, no, we lament and we grieve and we mourn. We do those things, but, but we do not despair because we look upon the world and ourselves through the lens of eternity. We see with eyes focused on the future that is before us, a new way of seeing that God has given us when he first gave us peace. And when we do so, we do not despair at the world because we have a peace that is not of this world. We have an eternity that awaits us, an eternity that will one day have no place for riots, an eternity that will be a place where there will be no more violence, a place where, where there will be no more racism. It will be a far off, distant memory, so, so far and distant that it will feel like a fog that we can barely even remember. It will have no place for that or viruses or selfishness or division. Friends, we look wisely to that place of peace. We look beyond today and we look beyond our world and we look to that day when Jesus will return. And we will know the peace that he has promised us. The peace that he has given us even in part today. So y'all don't look to the wealth of the world. Do not look to the power of the world. Do not think that that can save you because it cannot. Instead, let us say with our hearts these words and let us sing them with our lips and let us cling to them with our souls and embrace the wisdom that God has put before us to know the peace that he gives us through his son. Amen. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we do thank you that you have not left us to ourselves, but you have given us a peace, a peace that surpasses all understanding. And Father, we know that that does not mean that we will not cry out, that we will not lament, that we will not grieve or mourn. We know that we will, but we do so with hope. With hope, knowing that the peace that you have won for us in Jesus is ours today, and we will experience it in full in eternity. And so we ask, Lord Jesus, come quickly. Come quickly. Make all things new. Do away with our sin and do away with the brokenness of the world. And bring your peace. We pray this in Christ's name. And all God's people said together, Amen.